0: I titled the sermon this morning, Lord of All. Because Paul, as he's breaking out into this this middle thing right here, that's what he's getting at. You know, he's saying, he's reminding them, as, as the Church of Colossia, and maybe something we need to be reminded of daily as well, he's saying, it ain't about you and it ain't about me. It's about him. Amen. You know, and he, he's talking to this church, and I think they had probably got, which we know they'd gotten off track with, with some stuff that we'll get to more as the letter goes on with, with some of the report from... From the starter of the church who visits Paul, but Paul's telling him, he goes, I need need to remind you guys that, yeah, Jesus came and he did a lot of stuff for you and he can do a lot of stuff for you, but it still ain't about you. It's about him. Mm -hmm. So as he gets into this thing and he's he's really starting to, what I guess we could call, what we call upstairs is, is the meat and potatoes. He's passed the intro. He's broken into the prayer and, and now he's making sure they understand Jesus is sufficient because of who Jesus is. And a lot, of, a lot of the beginning of this letter, I said this last week, it's going to be like a, a review for a lot of you. For some of you, it may be a new thing. For some of it, it might just be, when we talk about being a review, it might be something you need to be reminded of. Because when we forget the supremacy of Christ, the position of him being number one, the preeminence of Christ, we can get ourselves in a lot of trouble. And that, in essence, is, is where, where God, Paul, and uh, well, not really Paul, but the, the church that he's writing to in trouble. They had forgotten that Christ was enough. And, and and we'll get to that in just a minute. But, but here's where I kind of want to relate it so that we can understand. We've got an authority problem. And that's how I wrote it the first time. We have an authority problem. And I was like, that could go so many ways and so many intros for so many sermons. But here's what I want us to get to. We have boundaries on our authorities on earth. And I think that's why sometimes we confuse the boundaries of the authority of Christ. What I mean by that is this. You know, if I was to call... Jacob, as an officer of the law, would say, hey, man, we need to ride to North Carolina and take care of a crime that's gone on. He would have to tell me, well, we might be able to ride and take care of some stuff, but I can't bring my badge because I got no authority in North Carolina. Right. If we were to, to reach a salesman, you know, even in, the, in in any world, really. But since I relate so much with tires, you know, they, they have they have sales reps for certain areas. They can't cross those. Those boundaries, you know, just this week we had a call for a tire. That's a West coast tire and had to explain to him. I said, man, as weird as it sounds like that is just something that's sold there. You can buy it online and get it shipped, but it's not anything you'll ever find on the East coast. There's boundaries to the authorities that we have on earth. And as we think about that, I think sometimes maybe that's why we've got our brains mixed up and we need to be reminded. And that's what Paul's doing right here. He's reminding them and making sure they understand that, that Jesus isn't limited in any way. He doesn't have any boundaries. His authority doesn't have any lines. He doesn't have judicial lines in the ground where where he's not allowed to cross. He's Lord over everything. He's Lord over creation. He's Lord over everywhere. He's not just Lord in this church. He's Lord in all churches. He's not just Lord in South Carolina. He's Lord in all of the Carolinas and all of the the, the country. He's not just on the North American continent. He's on all the continents and not just on earth. And if there's aliens, he's got over them too. You know what I'm saying? Like he is Lord over everything, everywhere, all the time. He doesn't have boundaries. And if we can get that just in the physical realm of where Paul is going with creation, what could it then do for the other areas of our life? Well, then we'd realize he's not just Lord over sickness. He's also Lord over health. Doesn't he deserve both? You notice how we'll jump one way when it's one thing, but we always forget he's Lord of the opposite as well. I got reminded of that within the last couple of years, but, you know, we would break in and and, and talk about, you know, numbers at the shop or, or whatever it was going on in our life. As we talk, we'd be like, man, God is so good. Look at all the, all the blessings we got. And all, do you realize God is still good when you're not blessed? Right? Yes. Does he have to bless you to be a good God or is he just a good God all the time? Now, don't get me wrong. We feel hunky-dory and, and it's wonderful when things are good, but he's Lord always. It doesn't stop. He doesn't have boundaries. He's Lord over sickness, Lord over health. I I put his, he's not just Lord over wealth. He's also Lord over poverty. You know what I'm saying? We quick to praise him when we got money, but when we broke, we just begging for stuff. Why can't we praise him both ways? Huh? Maybe when we got a lot, we ought to be asking, how can I give it away? Wouldn't that be more in tune with what he is and what he's all about? Jesus Christ has no judicial boundaries. He's Lord over everything, always, all the time. And I could go into that for so much more, but it was supposed to just be an intro for you, right? You could write it down this way to sum it up. If Jesus Christ isn't Lord over all, he's not Lord at all. Make sense? If he's not Lord over everything in your life, then he's not Lord. He ain't playing second place. And I was like, he, he's not competing for the bronze and the silver and none of the other medals that come afterwards. He's not, I was watching a college track meet trying to, to learn a little bit for the boys as they get into track season now. And I was trying to work out how the point system working. And I didn't realize, man, way down the list of runners, they still earning points. And it reminded me, Christ ain't trying to earn points. He's trying to earn life. The, you know, the, 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 very essence of, of everything. So the same problem, the church in Colossians having is the same problem we have today. And he, here's what it is An easy way to, to kind of sum it up. And I'm gonna give you a little bit more of what they were doing as we progress through chapter one in this letter. But for today, at least they don't outright deny Christ. They just reduce Christ. And if you pay attention in our world today, guys, especially in the church world, that's kind of what we started doing. We don't deny, you never you don't hardly ever see anybody deny Jesus anymore. We've got religions all over the world. but well, they don't deny him. They just change who he is. Well, you know, he's a good moral teacher. He's a great prophet. He was a wonderful example setter. He, he, he was this. He was that. But what we, we very rarely see people grab what Paul's grabbing a hold of and saying, Jesus Christ is God. 100% God. You know, we said something in the last letter about how it just doesn't add up. 100% God, 100% man. And you're right. It doesn't add up. Because God's not based by our numbers and the way we understand things. If he was basing things off of the way we understand it, this book would have to be a whole lot shorter and smaller with, with large print and, and shorter words, you know, but, but he's not that. So, so here's what I want to do, and I think this connects a lot to us, but I want to give you just a little bit more history into this letter since we kind of flew through it last week as we started this thing. And I just want to remind you, Paul's writing this again from prison, and that's important because of some of the questions that are going to come up from the Colossians here in a minute. As he's writing from a prison, keep in mind he is in prison because he refused <laughs> To stop telling everybody that Jesus was God. That's what he's locked up for. So what he's locked up for, he's also writing in the letter. Could you imagine being being in trouble for something and still bragging about whatever that something was? You know what I'm saying? Like like he's in trouble for announcing that Jesus is not just a great prophet, a great teacher, a priest. You know, Levitical priest, whatever it is. He's in prison because he's straight up saying like not only is Jesus your savior, but Jesus is God. He is God. He is God. You know, come down. So, So he's in prison for that. Oh, uh, another thing to remember, he's never met these guys, which I, I don't know for you guys. If you grabbed a hold of that last week, to me, that was super powerful because sometimes I think I got to meet somebody and know somebody to love and care for somebody. And, and what I'm seeing with Paul here is he never met these guys. He just heard about them. He had been prayed. You ever prayed for somebody you ain't never met? Huh? That's a powerful thing, man, especially if in the future, the Lord will bless you with meeting them. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, I thought the other day when I was, I guess it was last night, actually, I was talking to, to Crystal, and I thought, man, this Mauricio cat that's coming, I ain't never met him. I've seen pictures of him on slideshows, and I found out about him years ago when Daniel and Laura had first mentioned his name on, on a whole other mission trip. And I thought about it, and I said, do you realize somebody I've prayed for, prayed about, gave money to, and I, you know, invested in, I'm going to meet for the first time on Saturday in person. It's just a crazy thing when you when you really begin to th- to think about how that works and what that can do for you. But I'm willing to bet, and you can hold me to this, I'm willing to bet when he comes Saturday, well he comes before then, but but when we meet him on Saturday at dinner and when he's here on Sunday, I bet it the, the connection and the click is so fast it's like automatic family. Because we're united by something much greater than distance, looks, likes, or anything else. We're united by Abba Father, who's our daddy on both ends. Same thing when Pastor Rogers came. We sat right there after a Wednesday night. I ain't never met the man. I ain't never even had a... Not that there's anything wrong with having a passion for Africa. It just wasn't something in my calling. And we sat right there that very first Wednesday when he came in and spoke and gave a little demonstration and all. And we talked for a long time afterwards. You know what I'm saying? And it's just amazing to me, guys. And I guess that's a big point. Paul had never met these people yet. He's so invested in them. I promise you, Paul is praying so hard, he's crying for their advancement of the, of, of, of growth. You know what I'm saying? And that, that's just... A, man, that's a strong... Strong connection. Don't ever think because you don't know nobody, you can't pray for somebody. Don't ever think because you don't know nobody, you can't care for somebody. Paul is sharing his relationship emotionally, spiritually, and physically now with this church that he's connected to. And what, and what brought it about wasn't good news, by the way. This isn't like the Philippians. I want you guys to, to remember that. You know, last, last letter we did, we talked about, man, Paul was in love with these guys because they was his shining star. You, you know what I'm saying? Like when you got a kid that just did something really good and you're like, that, that's my boy. Right. I watched my wife last night. We talked about a karate demonstration for the stingray game today. And she says, Well, my daughter's the best anyway. And I, that's a true mama right there, Bo. Don't matter what's going on, your kid is the best. You know, that? but that's how Paul is right now. Paul is, he, well, that's how Paul was with Philippians. Sorry. When he wrote Philippians, he's saying, like, these are my guys. Look at the example they're doing. When he gets to this church, there's no less passion, by the way. But what inspired this is, is uh, uh, Epaphras, he, he's come to visit Paul, 800 to 1,000 mile trip. And he sat down with Paul and he said, man, I'm glad you was happy about the Philippians because let me tell you about the Colossians. You know what I'm saying? Like you got all excited about what the spirit was doing through the first church. Well, let, let me tell you about these cats and what they got going on. And, and, he's, and he's writing this and addressing those concerns. So as we get through this letter, and I, and I said this last week, I hope you got it. Paul didn't talk about the problem none. The hints are there so we can figure it out if we, if we use our brains. But Paul's talking about the solution every time. Yeah. Right here is the solution. They're want they they're bathed in an area that is all about adding to the gospel. You know, have this God and pick that God. It's like a buffet of gods. You just, you just go through and pick what you want, put it on your plate, and enjoy it. And Paul's telling them right now at the very beginning of this letter after he prays for him, He says, if you guys ain't figured out that Christ is sufficient enough to supply everything, you're missing it. Right. And it's the same thing in the church today. If we think we got to have Christ plus anything else. We're missing it, right? So, so here's the third thing about this letter. I think it's a pretty straightforward letter. He's just addressing two main things. One I just now hinted at. One, one is that Colossians being influenced by the uh, culture all around them. So it's war- their understanding of God. So a lot of what he does in the beginning is just a pure theology-based sufficiency, preeminence of, of Christ. And secondly, evidently another thing that Epiphanes told him is, man, the church is wondering, like, why are you in prison if you're working for Jesus? Which is a valid thing if we're honest, Right? You, you know what I'm saying? Like you, you ever witnessed to somebody maybe why you was, you was in a rough moment and they looked at you and you could tell they was thinking like, if you got so much of this Jesus who can do anything and everything, why are you struggling? <laughs> you, you know what I'm saying? Like that, that's kind of where they're at. So I want you to understand, like, it's a realistic emotional they're at. So Paul's going to write. And he's going to tell a man, i tell you why I'm willing to suffer and sacrifice everything for Jesus. And he also, when he gets to it, he'll be telling them you guys ought to be willing to do the same. So that, that's a little bit later, but, but here, here's what I want us to be. So go back to that city of Colossia. If you're big into it, it's, mo, it's a valley in modern day Turkey, um, part of the Roman empire. And here's their two basic guidelines for belief because Paul's about to start combating theology, right? So here's their two basic guidelines. You can worship any God you want to. That's the first thing. Second thing is don't you dare say that your God is the only God. Cause that'll cause some disturbance. That's the Roman theology of, of polytheistic beliefs. So as, as any Roman city, Colossia is filled with temples, it's filled with shrines to so all kinds of different gods and their, their idea, I wrote it down this way. As you find the God that works for you, get you, get you a sample from this one, the, the, the smorgasbords of gods and, and just pick out what you want build a bear theology. Y'all ever seen one them build a bear things that little kids do. You just build your own God, whatever makes you feel good. And this is all based off of culture infiltrating the church. So, of course, I got a little side note. I want you to write it down as well. Does this start to sound familiar? You think to our culture and our world, is it starting to sound familiar? We're mixing theologies, we're mixing doxologies, we're we mixing this, we're mixing that, and we're just shaking it all up and trying to have a build a bear theology in our stuff. We got a, you can write it down this way too. That's another good way to do it. We got a Jesus and mentality. Well, I'm going to tell you right now, if you got a Jesus and, you done messed up. Unless it's Jesus and nothing. You know, you know what I'm saying? Like it can't be a Jesus and anything. When we we have a, a, when we worship Jesus and, and we start to be embrace other things, what we're saying is Jesus, you lacking in this area. So I had to pick something else up to fulfill that area. Is that really what we want to, to tell the Lord? Again, keep in mind, they're not rejecting Jesus. They're just adding to Jesus. And we need to make sure that we know what we believe. Not, not that we know what sounds good. Not that we know these little phrases and, and Facebook memes and all that crap that goes on, right? Not that what we've been told, you know, I I can't, I'm gonna tell you right now, something that gets me sometimes when people say, well, I was told. What do you believe? What's going on in your walk with Christ? Not, not what did your grandmama have? Not what does your daddy have? Not what does your spouse have? Not what does your child have? What do you Have. What is your belief? What is your connection? What is your relationship with the Lord? Right? Because if we don't know and I think that's why Paul starts this way. If we don't know what we believe, we don't know what we're going to do. Because what you believe determines what you're going to do. Right? What you believe will always determine what you do. So as Paul starts this thing, let me get into the book. You get a little bit more intro each week. I actually want to go back to 13 real quick. We just read over 13 and 14 Last week, the primary stuff is from 15 through 20, but, but I want to go back because Paul's, I don't know if he's ending the prayer or if we just put the connection points, the dots in the wrong section. But, you know, Paul prayed in verse 12 and he said, we want to give thanks to the father. That sounds like an ending to the prayer to me. You know what I'm saying? So, so I think he kind of ended on 12 where we stopped. And then here's what he says. He reminds him. He has rescued us from the dominion of Darkness. And transferred us into the kingdom of the Son He loves. In Him we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. That sound like something you want. You want to be rescued from darkness. You know what I'm saying? Like you, you want to be forgiveness. You want to have forgiveness of sins. You want, you want to be redeemed. You, you want to get into the kingdom. If any of them things applied to you, here's what Paul says. If any of these apply to you, then he starts 15 where we at today. Then let me remind you, He is the image of the invisible. God, you wouldn't compromise and you wouldn't have to add so much stuff to your beliefs. If you really knew what you believed, if you really believed what you say, you believed, if what you believed was actually real taking place and taking root and taking foundation in your heart. And Paul says this, and and I will say this 15 through 20, a lot of, a lot of theologians or writers or people much smarter than me that have higher degrees. They say this was a poem or a hymn that the, the early church Would use to describe Jesus. Entirely possible. I'm not saying it's not. I think it'd be a beautiful thing to read. And have at every church service. I mean what what a better way to start your church service. Than to have a hymn talking about who Jesus is. And what Jesus came to do. Right? The basis of everything. So I'm fine with that. But I just pointed out it can't be proven. But it is what it is. Right? So verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God. This is not the word image like we think of. This isn't a copy. This isn't like something. This isn't, this isn't similar to, he's not saying Jesus is like God. He's saying Jesus is God. So it gets him in so much trouble, right? And I tell you why this, this is so important and, and maybe why I can even prove it a little bit more. You know, language is important. That makes sense. Your understanding of something is more important based off of if you understand the language that it's written in. Well, not a one of us speak Greek in here, do we? If so, please come up. I could guide you lots of questions and maybe you could help me a little bit more as we go through this thing. I don't either. But, but in looking up definitions and, and, and words and stuff, here, here's a word you could write down. If Paul meant that Jesus was merely similar to the Father, if he was like God, if he, he had attributes of God, uh, a Greek word he would have used is homoniuma, which is H O M O I A. No, sorry, H O M O I O M A. I know all of you wrote that down because you care so much. That's why I studied it and got it for you. If you're laughing, you didn't write it down, you should come to the altar. This word speaks of similar appearance, though. So that's why I want to make sure we understand. Like, if he was trying to talk about Jesus is like God, if he's like that image on the coin, you know, that that represents that that, that person, like this is the word he would used because this is the Greek word for similar image, similar appearance. He uses a stronger word here, which I I believe one hundred percent proves that he knew Jesus was God. If he'd have used the other word, I might have had some debate and been worrying. But he doesn't, he purposely picks out this other word saying this. So he's saying God, and we know this from, from just basic theology of old Testament, God being invisible. Well, did that really mean you couldn't see him? Or does that word invisible have a little bit deeper meaning like unknowable, like unattainable, you know? So, so he's exalting in Christ, the unknowable God now becoming known. So, so here's what I want you to do. Here's what I did. for me, it meant a lot for you, maybe it'll help you and maybe it won't, right? I want you to go back to the old Testament. Anywhere in Old Testament you want to be. I don't care where, right? And I want you to think about moments men or women got close to seeing God and then something had to happen. I'll give you an easy one to start. One that you ain't even got to worry about theology wise or anything like that. What about old Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Right? They was in the fiery furnace. Right? They was willing to go in and some invisible force, I don't know what you want to call it, that they couldn't see and the other people couldn't see was with them protecting them? Right. What else you got in the Old Testament? Then the elders went up on the mountain, Mount Sinai. Oh, Mount Sinai. What happened on Mount Sinai? Ten Commandments, Ten commandments is given, but what happens? They ate with God. the Holy Spirit came down. The Holy Spirit came down to God, but what did He tell Moses? He said, "Moses, I need you to what? You remember what He told him? He I need no. I need you to hide. <laughs> I need you to hide behind the rock. Why?" You remember what he told him? Because what? So my glory can pass by by because no man has seen my glory and still lived. He loved Moses so much after giving the law that he told him because, Brother, I'm going to need you to get in the corner. I'm going to need you to close your eyes. I'm going to walk by behind you. And even that glory is so powerful. If you was to turn around and catch a glimpse of me, I don't think you would live. He told Jacob the same thing after wrestling all night. I don't know if you ever caught that part. I love I love that little that little thing at the end when, when they're done wrestling. He looks at Jacob and says, Jacob, the sun's about to come up. And ain't no man, tells him the same thing. He says, And ain't no man seen me and still been alive. What's Jacob do? Well, you beat me, Lord. That's it. I'm out. You know, he finally gets his attention on realizing who God is, and, and that's when he finally releases a little bit. So so this is the kind of stuff that the, the, these people would have been thinking about, am I right? They've been thinking about, well, hold on. If, if he's God, that we, we can't truly see God, which if you, you don't really see maybe part in your heart, that means you don't, you don't really know as well. And there's, there's that separation thing that, that goes on, you know, and then it, then it's stronger when you actually are connected and, and, and all those questions will be coming. And Paul writes this thing and he tells him, he goes, well, for all them years of Genesis through Malachi, right before the book of Matthew, somewhere along there, Jesus said, you know what? I'm tired of man trying to describe me to other man. I'm tired of events and miraculous things happening and people trying to get a picture and a glimpse of who I am. So in Matthew, he said, I'm not going to send a man to tell them who I am and what I look like. I'm going to send myself in the image of a man so that I can be with them and they can get to know me and connect with me a little bit better. That means when Jesus came, and you think about Jesus' life now, this is so beautiful and so awesome, guys. When Jesus was walking around earth, he's telling, he says, you guys are getting to know God more intimate now than you ever could have. It means when Jesus touched the lady that was sick, they're getting to know God. Right? Because now Jesus, they're seeing Jesus as a hands-on kind of God that wants to do healing. It means they're seeing the, they're seeing the God that would have parted the Red Sea. You imagine, you know, they're seeing, they're seeing the guy that was with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They're seeing the one who was probably leading the army when they were down in the valley and they were scared. And they looked up and they said, well, the enemy is surrounded by mine, so I guess it's okay. The guy who was leading that, probably God, right? he, He was right there commanding it, I promise you, because they answered to him. So if he wasn't physically right there, I promise you, he was on his throne still watching this thing take place. This this is what they're seeing, guys. The, 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 the invisible God has now become visible so that they can get to know him. So they can get deeper in their understanding with him. And man, it's just, it's just a beautiful, a beautiful thing when you watch how Jesus lived his life. And think about the fact that this is God come to be with us. You know, we we all big on that during Christmas, right? Huh? That seems to be the only time we celebrate that, by the way. I don't understand why. Why is one month out of the year the only time we decide to celebrate God deciding to come and be with me? Right. Huh? The problem ain't Christmas and the problem ain't holidays. The problem is you only do it on a holiday. I could care less about where your theology is on holiday. We can can get them meat and potatoes long after you get right on other stuff. Right? But you you really only want to celebrate God leaving his throne in heaven running down here so that you could get to meet him. So that you could get to know him. I, I think we miss so much guys when we think he just came to die on a cross. And I do, I, please understand me, I am not diminishing the cross in any way. I'm not taking away from the forgiveness of sins that comes from the cross. I'm just making sure you understand it is so much more than bloodshed on a cross. And if we miss some of that stuff, guys, we will miss how deep and intimate this relationship with Christ can be. And that's a scary place because when we do that, we'll fall in the same trap the Colossians were falling into or Colossae whatever you want to call them, right? It, whoever screw ups. We're gonna be screw ups too if we start allowing things from the world to get inside because we don't know what we fully believe, because we haven't experienced belief. We've just experienced hearsay. I got a chart for that, and well, we way away from that chart. I don't know how I got there so quick, but anyway, you guys stay with me. Stay with me. I think it'll help you when we get to it, right? This image, man, I I just I mean, I can't get away from it because I think this image is so important, guys. I really do, right? But I'm gonna go on. All right, rest of verse 15. Then he uses this other phrase. He says, "The firstborn over all creation, protocos, protocos, where we get the word prototype." All right, so nothing fancy there, except for make sure we understand this. Right? This could be described in two things in the Greek: either a priority in time or a supremacy in rank. I think Paul's writing about both. Right? Is, is he not got a priority in time? In the beginning was the what? Word. And the word was. And the word was. Oh, so therefore he has a supremacy in time, right? Does he not have a supremacy in rank? I think Paul got both ideas right here. Jesus was being, was before all created and Jesus is supremely different than all that's been created. Then it goes on in the verse and it says this. And and here's, here's where you gotta really get it, right? For all things that were created by him and for him. Paul is fancifully saying he's God, guys. Because in fancifully saying that, he's saying the only, the the only uncreated thing can be God, him, right? Does that make sense? But please, you got, you got to grab that now because if you don't grab it, you, you'll miss later on, right? Jesus can't create himself. Am I, am I safe to say that? You understand that? So we, we need to grab well, what Paul's saying right here. Is, is if, if he created everything and everything is for him, he's got to be God himself. Because the fact is, Jesus can't uncreate himself or create himself. He just is. Now, that confuses a lot of people and a lot of people don't like that because you can't understand that. I'm going to tell you now, I tell you all the time, if you can understand God, he's too small. You know what I'm saying? And if he was created by anything, then that leaves a lot of doubt for everything. Right? So therefore, we got to make sure we grab a hold of this man. And don't get trapped in the wording here. I do want to share it, though, but don't get trapped in it. A lot of people get confused and they assume things because it says what? Jesus was the first thing God created. That's the way they kind of manipulate that verse, correct? Is that what he's actually trying to say, though? Or is he saying, look at the word firstborn. Firstborn can also mean position. So again, that word that word, prototype, what he's saying is Jesus is the prototype of all creation. Jesus is the, the template for which all things were created. And in a couple verses, we all know it, he's going to say that Jesus was the firstborn from the dead. Well, let me just pause right there and ask you. Was he the first one raised from the dead? Come on, church folks. No! No! See, now you're telling me, well, there must be something wrong then, right? No, it's just understanding language, right? It's a position kind of thing. It's a, it's a, it's a, a, right? You say Jesus is the firstborn of the resurrection because he's the prototype of the resurrection that all the rest of us are going to follow. You you can even look at it this way if you need just like a simpler example, right? Who was the firstborn, Isaac or Ishmael? Ishmael. Who got the blessing? Oh, so who gets the title of being the First Isaac, but he wasn't physically first, was he? No. So it's, it's a position kind of thing. I just point that out to make sure. Don't, don't ever let wording of something that you don't understand, confuse you in scripture. Just, just dig a little deeper and grab a hold of it, man. Ain't nothing wrong with that. Right? And here's the problem. Or here, here's where the world was. I think very similar to our world today. Jesus was a great man, great moral teacher, but pe- you ever met people when you tell them Jesus was God, even other religions, there's a lot of religions out there that may even worship jesus but i assure you when you say jesus is god they almost get violently about it i'm dead serious like i, I you know just just a, and here's why because because if he's a great man a moral teacher as, as they said and, and a lot of will say right then he's he's super strong he's super wise he's he's put alongside a lot of other religious leaders but if he's god all the rules are out the window that makes sense. Like, like if he's actually God, that means he's the center of everything. That means everything has to be measured by him. You see how drastically it changes from him being just a man to actually being God. Paul goes on in the same section. I think many of us would connect really well with it, especially here in, in some of the things you guys say for church, right? Creation points to him. Think about that. You, you, you ever seen how creation points to God? You, you ever, you some of y'all ever just sit back and watch creation. Y'all ever watched the sunrise? You ever watched the sunset? Y'all ever watched the turtle lay eggs? These are some of the cool things I've seen in life, right? Like you, you, you ever, you ever just watched that Eagle sit up at the, at the top of a mountain and soar down? Yeah. You, you, you ever took a, took a group of graduates? Probably the prettiest thing. I still remember to this day, nature wise, other than sunsets, I guess taking a group to the top of table rock, cheating and going off course. Because when you're a youth leader, that's what you do. If you didn't do that, you're not going to be a good one, right? So going off course to get to a, to an unmanned area to eat some sandwiches and lunch. But you looking over just two of the most prettiest lakes you've ever seen in your life. And you're just sitting there and there's just this, in the midst of chaos. We live in a chaotic world. And if you don't have Christ as a sinner, your world will stay chaotic. Right? Scripture says in Genesis that he came to take control of the chaos. Right? So if he took control of your life, that's why your life's in chaos. All right, it ain't no secret. He's been saying this since Genesis. But when you just sit up there in the middle of all the and you're just looking like, man, beautiful. I never forget it. We, we, we. I think we only had like six or seven with us. I think Tyler and Caroline were both there, and and, and I remember just sitting back, eating my sandwich, and just stopping to look at them, and all of them just <laughs> when they caught it. Now you know they don't gonna let you know they caught it because back then. They was 18 and invisible and unbeatable and everything else. So nobody, nobody wants to let you know you got caught by nature's beauty. right? But I'm telling you right now, when you see, it's just awesome, man. It is, it is a really, really cool thing. So creation points to him. Here, here's what else Paul's saying in this letter though. Not only is he the creator of everything, he's the maintainer of everything. So now how cool is that? Right? Because not only he didn't just create it and leave it, he created it and he's going to maintain it. Any of y'all ever worked in a garden? Huh? Any granddaddies or, or, or daddies and mamas or whatever? Just, just every, you get so excited when you, when you get it all ready, right? You got everything tilled up and, and you get real excited that day you get to put the seeds in the ground. Right? Seeds is in the ground. The next morning, if you're like me, you think, man, I'm gonna go see something. (laughs) And then the next morning, you think you're gonna see something. And then the next morning, you, by day five, you've lost all the excitement. You don't want nothing to do with that garden no more. But you know what your daddy tells you? Daddy says, son, now we got to go out and pull the weeds out the way. So the stuff we want to grow can grow. Well, daddy, I don't want to work the garden. I just wanted to throw some seed in there and I want to eat when it comes up. And that's about it. I'm so grateful that the Lord wasn't like me. He not only created something, he wants to be involved maintaining it. And he does so. And it's the same thing in our life. Not only did he create your life, he wants to maintain your life. He wants to take control of it, right? So when you look at creation, you can say it this way. I've heard people say it this way. When you look at creation, it can draw you closer to the creator. Paul goes even further. He says, not only were you created by Jesus, but you're created for Jesus. Let that sink in for a minute. Not only were you created by, but you're created for. Now that opens a whole nother can of of stuff, right? That means I got to understand, like I'm created for Jesus, which means my primary purpose is to know and discover his will for my life and then to live it out. And if I hadn't discovered his will, I can't live it out. So if I can't discover his will and I can't live it out, then I haven't, full, haven't received full fulfillment because I'm not living out his purpose. Because I was created not only by him, but for him. Some of y'all are miserable because you're not living for the right purpose. Right? And, and, and it's just clear. It says that you really get to know, I was reading the thing, you really get to know an artist when you look at their work. The guy writes and says, artists say that in every great work, there is a piece of them, piece of their soul in the artwork. So you get to know that artist by looking at the art. That That's creation. And scripture's no different. What does scripture says? And the heavens declare the glory of God. Right? I'll never forget, I don't know if you guys have seen End of the Spear, and I'm not saying everything in the movie is exactly right, I'm not saying everything in the movie is exactly wrong. But I'll never you can't argue with somebody when they speak right at the end in real life. At the very end, when they get this, this Indian chief. And they're talking to him after everything that's gone down. If you had not seen I don't want to ruin it for you. But some missionaries went there and, and it didn't end good for them. But, but at the end, he says this. He says, well, we always knew there was a creator just by looking at all the stuff. You realize that part of what God has done is put a hunger in our souls by what's all around us. And you and my job is to make sure that we get out there and tell these people what that hunger really is. And not let it get filled with some mumbo jumbo from the rest of the world. Right? Like, like, like a... <laughs> Y'all ever seen a girl when she gets a wedding ring? We got married and we was poor. We still poor, but we got married and we was poorer. So Chris ain't got no big old ring. I, I did that on purpose. <laughs> I'm serious. Y'all think I'm, I'm dead serious. I did that because I don't want her looking at that, that, that ring and thinking, Oh, the ring is so beautiful. I want her to look at the ring and it point back to me. You know what I'm saying? Do we not do the same thing with the Lord though? Does the Lord not desire the same thing since He uses that as an illustration for us? Do you think He wants you to look at the ring and admire the ring and oh, holy is the ring? Or do you, do you think He wants to let the ring, symbolically of course if you ain't caught that, draw you back to Him? The one, the giver of the ring. Right? I think so. Verse 17. Verse 17. He is before all things, and by him, all things are held together. You know, he says all things are held together. I, I, I am not a scientist by any means. I'm not even smart enough to take science classes. Being dead serious. Like, it was just a, a struggle for me, right? I like the lab part because it was hands on. But the educational part, well, that was a whole nother kind of ball game on them, right? But, but I, I like reading about some of this stuff and just checking it out. Because here's what I got this week, right? Talking about, talking about physicists. And and, and the guy writes, he's a physicist, and he says, we're still confused on how the atom holds together. You know, your whole whole world is made up of atoms. You understand that, right? He says, you see, the nucleus of the atom contains positively charged protons. Well, I did remember that from Science 101, right? They should repel each other like two positively charged magnets. Y'all ever been like the little kid that takes magnets and... Points in the other, you can feel the force pushing against or You feel the force to, that draws them together. He's right. He's saying in this atom is all this stuff. And all this stuff by everything we know and we understand. These things ought to be repelling each other through the roof. So I thought I was going to get to an answer. Let me give you dirt I love, I love when science is like this. Right? This is simple-minded understanding right here. Right? He says we really couldn't understand what holds them together. Based on all that we know right now through the electromagnetic energy. Every atom should fly apart. But there's some invisible force stronger than the electromagnetic force that holds them all together. So then they get smart because physicists got to be a smart person, right? So they named this thing. You want to know what they named it? This force? The stronger force. <laughs> Scientific name right there, guys, is the stronger force. Now, some of y'all listening to this and you're thinking, Pastor's about to tell us that the Lord holds the atoms together. No, I'm not. I'm telling you, man ain't smart enough to figure out yet what the Lord put in there to hold the atoms together. Now, I'm okay if you believe it is the invisible hand of God holding the atom. That's fine. Whatever you want to believe. But I'm not actually going to tell you that because I think there is something else there that we just ain't discovered yet. Right. My point is this. what I, Maybe one day we will discover it and we'll have a name for it. Better than the stronger force, by the way. Right. But my point is this. Some incredibly strong force holds the nucleus of every atom together when it looks like it should be flying apart. Does everything in your life ever get to a stage where it looks like it ought to just be flying apart? I do believe the invisible hand, the stronger force, as science calls it, is the Lord keeping everything in control when everything ought to be falling out. Some of y'all ain't never been there, so you can't celebrate the stronger force. But I'm telling you right now, if you've ever been in, in, in your atom of life <laughs> and you get in your atom of life and everything ought to just be blowing it up and pushing it away and all that. I think it's God that holds history together. I think it's God to hold your life together. I think it's God that keeps everything from unraveling and sustains creation and sustains your life. Going even deeper, there's a Greek scholar, A.T. A. Robertson. He takes this idea from this verse, this section right here. And he says that the section where it says all things were created. He says, you could also translate it this way. Now, this is from a Greek scholar. I don't speak Greek, so I'm just stealing it, right? But he says, the idea also comes, comes translated this way. Of all things, stand created or remain created. Stand created or remain created. I like that because here's what he's saying, right? That the whole existence of the universe rests then on Christ more than it does gravity. So we, we, don't, we don't have a, 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 a gravity universe. We, we got a Christ-centric universe. And that's what that's what Paul's writing. Paul's saying, not only do he create everything, he's maintaining it all. He's keeping it all right where it needs to be, even when you don't think it's right where it needs to be. Right? He's got it. Then he says in verse 18, <laughs> he's the head of the body, the church. He describes this relationship that, 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 that Jesus has over the church. And, and the head right here, you could probably also translate better into the word source. We We do this. Good Southern boys, right? Duck season coming in and everything, right? Or just came out. So, so, so the head of the river is the source of the river, right? That's 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 the source. So that's what he's saying. When he says this right here, he, he's saying like that's the source of life. It's the source of everything that's going to come from. Newsflash: If you ain't got a head, you dead. <laughs> Write that one down. That's a good note right there. You need to be reminded of. Seriously, if you ain't got a head, you dead. You got to keep your head connected. I talked to guys who tried to talk me out of ride motorcycles and they would tell me about wrecks that they've gone to where the bodies over here and the heads over there. That body could look perfect. It could look real good. But if it ain't got no head, it's dead. Right? How about the church? There's a lot of perfect, good looking churches out there, but if they ain't got no head, they dead. Right? So Paul's writing this thing, guys, you need to keep in mind. He's the head of the church. No matter how perfect you look, how great you look, if he's not in control as the head, there's a problem you need to be aware of. In your personal life, if he's not in control, there's a problem you need to be aware of. You can say it this way. He's the head. Father's the head, right? God's the head who gives the order. Then you've got the nervous system, which is the Holy Spirit taking that that order, that command, into all the limbs. What do you do when that command gets to you? That's on you. Or better yet, you could, you could even word it the other way since I think that's the, the danger this church is getting to. What happens if the message doesn't get to the limbs? What happens if there's a break from the head to the central nervous system, the Holy Spirit, getting that message out? Them limbs ain't going to do what they're supposed to do. Right? You, 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 ever, you ever met somebody with some of the nervous uh, diseases and, and, and problems that are out there? You, you ever seen somebody after they have a, have a stroke? Where they, they lose function of one side of their body. The nervous system ain't working over there. So so the head is sending signals. But it can't do nothing. Because there's a loss of connection. Church, I'm going to tell you right now. When we, start, when we stop doing stuff. It ain't the Lord's fault. He's still the head. He's still in control. He's still creating. And he's still maintaining. Our problem is we've lost connection. And if we lose connection. There'll be a heap of things. That the rest of this world meets out on. Let me get to it. Right? Verse 18 again. I'm just going to read 18 through 20 one more time. He's also the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning. The firstborn from the... I, you know, I, I tried to read that fast. I'll tell you right now. I need to apologize sometime because I get so excited. And, and, I, and I really don't want to talk fast and loud, but I do. Because I've been studying this stuff all week. You know what I'm saying? Like So, I, so I've been bottling it up for a whole week. Well, this week I I I, I, I studied uh, from Wednesday through. I'll be honest. I, I did my, my men's group stuff. You know, Monday, Tuesday night. So, 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 so half a week, but I've been bottling all this up for half a week. You know what I'm saying? Like trying to, trying to not let it out. You know, I find, you know how hard it is to go to work when you got Christian brothers at work and you found something cool and you don't want to share it because you don't want to spoil it for Sunday. I'm that greedy, by the way, in case y'all thinking, well, that's awfully greedy. You better believe it. I want you to think the sermon is good when I release it out. I don't want you to have it before. Huh? I don't need to share stuff with my wife sometime about what's coming, right? There's some good stuff coming. So, <laughs> so here's what he says. This whole section, because it fits together like a, like a good sandwich, right? He's the head of the body of the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that it might come and have the first place in everything. 19, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. I, I think 19, I didn't go into 19. I just want to point this out, because I think 19 ought to be so obvious it ain't even funny. You should not need to be reminded that when God does his plan and fulfills his plan, that he's complete in his plan. You know, that's all Paul's saying in 19, by the way, saying, you know what? And God was pleased with this idea. Of course he's pleased with this idea. It's his idea. You think I'm not pleased with my ideas when I have an idea? No, I'm real pleased with them. they mine. Right? So that's why I skipped over 19 for you note takers, right? Everything. That God was, Jesus was, verse 20. And through him to reconcile everything to himself where the things on earth are things in heaven by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Paul's saying church, you need to make sure you understand that Jesus is first. He's the creator of everything. He's not one of many beautiful things. He's the creating force behind all the beautiful things. He's the creator, the maintainer. Also wanted to say this. He's the director. That's another way you could put it for head, right? So not only did he create, not only does he promise to maintain, he now promises to direct. I'm going to be in charge. I'm going to direct everything. And we know that he's the, he's the savior. So those are four good points. If you would have been with me on probably Thursday when I was doing a four point sermon and that went out the window. All right. So creator, maintainer, director, and savior, you still get the four points. Then he says this, he says, Jesus was first, this God who pursued a relationship with us. I love this man. Cause what he's getting at now is he's going, He's he's really getting some gravy on the potatoes, right? He says he went to a bloody cross where he experienced torture and humiliation. Where he could buy us back. And the whole point of Paul writing this isn't even that. The point of him writing this is making sure they understand that he did this voluntarily. That's his big, his big moment. It isn't necessarily what happened on the cross. You know, he's going to get to that. But he's wanting to make sure they understand. And he did this voluntarily. He wanted to do this. He pursued you. You ever thought, I don't know if you guys understand this, like if God is God, right? If he is in control of everything, do you realize he probably could have just wiped the slate clean and started over? You ever thought about it that way? Well, they screwed up. Let's just go ahead and erase that whole thing and start back over. Genesis 1, Genesis, Genesis 1. I don't know how you'd word the second one, right? But you realize he could do it that way? But he chose not to? He didn't. He pursued you. So Paul says, if he's doing this and you, he put you as number one and, and for him, shouldn't we put him at number one for us? This isn't just a God that's on a list of God, gods, by the way, guys. This isn't just an important priority in your life. This isn't just a, an important chapter in the story. This is the book that all the other chapters are written on, right? Right? He exists in the class all by himself. What does it say in verse 18? Some of your translations may have it this way. This way, I really like it. That in everything, he might be preeminent. You know what that fancy word means? First. Number one. Center of it all. You know, when your life starts getting out of order, I promise you it's because first moved place. I'm telling you right now, I can almost guarantee you anytime your life gets out of order, it's because number one lost his place. The right number one, by the way, it does that. So ask yourself this here, because here's where Paul's really getting some application going now when he gets to this being number one. Is he number one in your life? Is he number one in your life? What Paul's saying is what's true in your theology ought to be true in your lives. If theology says that he's to be first place in everything, then in your real life, not just theology, he ought to be first place in everything, right? Not, not just on the list. Sometimes, Sometimes I think that's what we do. Well, I got Jesus on the list. Right? he he He's on the page. You don't seem to be getting it, so let me go ahead and get you right here, right? What if I was to tell my wife, baby, you're at the top of the list of all women in my life. How y'all think that'd go over? <laughs> not well at all. Right? Y'all might read about me tomorrow morning dead. Right? She might not even wait to I go to sleep. I don't know. Right? But could you imagine? That's what we're telling God. God, I got you on a list of a whole bunch of stuff. But at least you're at the top of the list, God. Sometimes. Is that is that what we want to tell him? Huh? Even more so with Jesus. He's the reason you exist, guys. By him created. By him for him. This is more than just merely an important commitment in your life. This is him being first. Preeminent. Number one. It's the foundation for everything. So write this question down. Does Jesus hold that position in your life? Or is he simply just on a list of priorities? Which way is it? Is he important to you or is he first? If Jesus and his mission will be first, it's got to be expressed in everything. It means this. I'm going to do whatever it takes, even if I'm uncomfortable, to fulfill his purpose for my life. You know, we've been talking about missions a lot lately. And I'm telling you now, there's some uncomfortableness stuff that goes on when you have to do missions. Whether we're talking missions at the gas station or missions in another world. And yes, I understand they're not in another world. They're still on earth, but it feels like another world when you're over there. Right? So think about it, right? you got to be willing to be a country. you got to be, I'm going to do whatever the Holy Spirit says. Because here's what happens, and here's what I'm afraid is happening to the church today. Thankfully, not necessarily here, but but the church in whole. And I think this is what happened in Coliseum right here. Churches, big, successful, whatever, when they get settled in, they lose their natural inertia. Meaning this right here. They move from being on mission to being on maintenance. I can't tell you how many churches I sit down and talk to sometime and they'll begin to tell me not about the missions they're doing, but about all they're having to do to maintain stuff in the church. Well, you don't understand so-and-so, you know, they let so-and-so get involved and -and so-and-so did this and I don't care about all your so-and-sos, I care about Jesus. Right? Like, Like we've gone from mission to maintenance, right? Or another thing, we go from being reckless in the mission to being comfortable in the institution. Stole that from Dr. Greer, that's good i am telling you right now, you ought to write that one down. That was good, right? Don't write it down because I said it because I stole it, right? Reckless in the mission to being comfortable in the institution. Mm. Look at this chart. I forgot I had this up here. I told you I'd get to it. Y'all ever heard people talk about first generation, second generation? Right? Y'all ever heard your old old, old pappies and your old parents and your old folks tell you about, well, back in my generation, right? This is like that, but on a spiritual level. If you can read the chart, look at it. You got a couple of others just because I ones you to be able to see it, right? This, this is generation comparison. First generation says we're going to do whatever it takes. Second generation, I'm going to do only what I'm asked to do. I can't tell you how many people we got sitting in seats right now across this whole world on a Sunday morning, not doing nothing. And their excuse is, well, nobody asked me to. I, I love and I get so excited guys when you have an idea and you just do it. Right. And it, not only did I get to see that, here's what's cool. So, so, so I saw it with Heather with a couple of things, saw it with Caroline taking over the the youth. And then I saw it feed off into the youth. He said, I want to do a car wash. She said, well, good. Take it and run with it. Now you do two good things when you do that. I mean, she ain't got to do it. So it's one less work for her. Right. <laughs> but the second thing is now you've given somebody the right to run with their vision. And that's a powerful thing, man. Huh? It's one reason why I love the men taking turns uh, studying and, and, and teaching on Wednesdays. You get involved, man. You're getting in it, right? Whatever it takes. Maybe that's the problem with some of our marriages too, by the way. We don't do whatever it takes no more. Matter of fact, maybe that goes into the parent relationship as well. We don't do whatever it takes to make sure they're getting what they need to get. All right, I'd stay on point one too long. Let me go on, right? Next thing on the chart. First generation. Assumes responsibility, personal responsibility. You know, second generation. That's somebody else's fault. Somebody else's job. Somebody else is supposed to do it. You assume. How about how about next one? Expects personal sacrifice. Second generation. We just want comfort. Alright, We want to sacrifice. We want comfort. Right? If it ain't, if you ain't bringing me a margarita with a straw in it, and I ain't going on that mission trip, I want to sit by the beach. Right? Y'all got a pool down there in Honduras? Huh? Y'all don't be afraid in the Baptist church pastor said Margarita, it's all right, you'll get over it. Huh? It was a virgin one. Huh. That's all they'll remember, right there, Lord. <laughs> First generation sees the problem, seeks the solution. Second generation sees a problem and complains. First generation sees possibilities and dreams of what could be. Third generation sees barriers and reasons to quit. First generation sees the voice of God. hears the voice of God firsthand and owns that vision, makes it their own. Second one, they just inherited somebody else's vision. They got a bunch of questions about every decision that's ever being made. First generation, they step out with bold, reckless trust in God. The second generation, they just sit satisfied. First generation, they fear holding anything back from God. You imagine what you could do with your life if you just feared holding anything back from God? God, I fear holding anything back from you, right? Second generation just fears any commitment whatsoever. First generation feels privileged to be part of the movement. Second generation, they feel entitled to the benefits that should be coming from the institution. Now you can sit and think we're talking about old people to young people, but that ain't what this chart's about. That might have been originally where the idea was running. I'm going to tell you right now, what it's about is those that have been told about God versus those that got God. If you ain't got first generational faith, if all you got is here, say you in you in category number two, you just sit right there and look at that mirror and look at the things on that chart and tell me I'm wrong. You can't, I promise you. Because I can go back to different areas of my life and I can look at that chart and say, "Ooh, that that was me. 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 And I'm so thankful that at least for the most part, maybe not all of it yet, but at least for the most part, I'm moving toward list number one where I can say, thank God I got that one. I'm getting out. I'm going to work on that one. I'm going to move to that one. Some of us are just experiencing the fruits of bold, reckless people of faith that went on before us. Y'all living on somebody else's audacious faith. And I think as Paul's writing this, he goes, guys, don't you dare get in a comfortable situation where you're living off somebody else's faith. You regain your first generation faith. you be reminded of the commitment that you made. Huh? We've been here for how long? Anybody know? I don't even know. I guess as a pastor I should know, but I don't, I don't really care about that stuff. 2013. 2013. Nine years. Y'all realize next year be a a 10 year anniversary? Woo! Are we still on fire for the Lord nine years later as we were back then? Huh? I think it ought to be burning brighter. You know what I'm saying? If a fire burns longer, it gets hotter. So shouldn't it be hotter now than it was then? I don't even want to be content with being on fire. I want to be content with being a fire that's hotter than it was nine years ago. Huh? Growing, spreading, eating it up. Fire that stays small dies. You know, when Moses passed the leadership, but this is what I want. I, want some, I wrote this down this week for me. I want to be like Joshua. Joshua inherited Moses' vision, but Joshua got his own experience going into the promised land. You ever thought about that? that, that I'm telling you right now, that, is, that when you think... Joshua could have just inherited leadership from Moses and sat back on his little chair. Yeah, hey, I'm the leader. I made it. Whoopty freaking do. You know what I'm saying? But Joshua didn't settle for that. Joshua said, I'm going to get into the promised land myself. I'm going to finish the race that was set before me. I'm going to finish the vision that God gave him. So now you got, you got three things going on. One, you got a vision from somebody before you, right, that was on fire. You, you didn't just grab it on your own, right? God used the tool and got it to you. Now you're on fire. But here's the question. Are you passing it on to the next generation? Because I is why I don't want to be a fire that's, that's just burning brighter right now. I also don't want to think, however many years when I am sitting in the kingdom with the Lord, that he looks at me and says, what did the generation after you do? And do you realize you're responsible for that? I hear the older generation, and now I'm getting to be part of it, so that's scary too, right? But I hear the older generation always talking about what this next generation has done. Oh, y'all done took this away and and y'all done took that away. I'm going to tear it now from my generation. Look at me right now, my generation. You old people, sit back. Your time is done, right? Young people, listen to me right now. Middle people. We middle people. Middle people, look at me right now. You better not get to a stage where you're wondering and blaming the next generation because it's on you. It's on you. What them guys right there do is on us. If they do great things, we get more fruit from it. Isn't that what Paul said in Philippians? Huh? If they do crappy things, you don't think the Lord's going to look at you and have an honest conversation about what could have been? I don't want that conversation. I don't even like that conversation when I talk to my boys about sports. Daddy, why why didn't you play college ball? Why why didn't you do this? Because I was a moron. Right? Because I worked out with the team for one summer. Then I met your mama and I didn't even entertain it after that. (laughs) Women, they'll be the root of us, man. Gee. Huh? Where we at? (laughs) You on the couch. Man, why y'all already mad at (laughs) him? Before you start accusing the church, by the way, of not feeding you, you better make sure you're showing up to the dinner table. Hmm? How dare, how dare you talk about you don't like the food that's being served when you ain't eating it? Right? And I know for the most part, that camera's who I'm talking to right now. So all y'all online, go ahead and check it out. Don't you dare blame the church for anything you're going through when you're not coming to the dinner table to get dinner. Right? I can't be talking to y'all because y'all at the dinner table. Right? Nice. Right, so they don't like me either. That's good. Everybody. Huh? <laughs> Maybe you can say it this way. What gets your first and your best? You, you understand there's a difference, right? What gets my first and my best? Look at what Paul said. Paul said he should have first place in everything. That means first place in your heart, first place in your affections. He should be the one you love the most. He should be first place in your obedience. It means you should do what he tells you to do. First place in your, your whole agenda, his whole agenda should rule your life. That's what Paul's getting at, right? So you do this in three areas. So if you just three checks, I need these. So I think maybe you need them, right? I need check sometime to let me know if I'm doing it right or not. So here's, here's one check, just three, three main areas. There's many other areas in your time. Does God get your first and your best in your time? You spend more time teaching that generation how to throw a ball or how to read scripture. Let's go ahead and get real on all of it, right? How about do you spend more time worrying about climbing up the workplace ladder than you do seeking Jesus? Right? More about status than commitment to him. Look at your weekly commitments. Small group, ministry, volunteering, prayer life. And go ahead and be honest with yourself. How much time are you spending with him versus other stuff? I promise you there's a correlation. Next thing. I'm just going to fly through these. Next thing, talents. When you first think about your talent, and some of you have a talent in your career. Some of your talent has nothing to do with your career. That's okay. I'm not talking about that. Right? When you think about your talent, does the kingdom of God get first consideration? Are you using it for that? Are you using that talent for his reason? Has your workplace become a mission field? Maybe that's part of it. Right? Do you see your job as a place to earn some money so that you can bless somebody else? Lots of ways you can use your talent, right? But just ask yourself, are you using your talent? Or is your talent being wasted? And lastly, your treasure. And by treasure, I don't just mean money, by the way. I'm so sick. Everybody always thinking about money when it comes to this stuff. Your treasure, I treasure my time more than I treasure any dollar. I do. I'm just telling you right now, I do. Because I don't have a lot of, well, I guess I, let me change that. I know I have the same amount you have. I choose to use it differently a lot of times. And that comes back to bite me in the butt. All right, I'm working on it. I'm working on it. All right. But I treasure my time. I treasure my, I, Some people treasure stuff. Some people treasure money, and that is their thing, right? So so here's the thing. You could write it this way. First and best are good enough. First and best versus good enough. Or are you willing to live with good enough so that you can get first and best of something else? And here's where it comes from. Seriously. You, you, ever, you ever sat there and watched parents as they go through transitions with their kids when they get older? Me and Duke were talking about it the, the, the other day. The kids is getting ready to start driving. You know what I'm saying? Now, I know some of you could be like, well, you ain't gotta buy them nothing. I, I, I worked hard. My daddy worked hard to make sure I had a vehicle to drive. I'm gonna get them a vehicle to drive. They gonna drive a beat up 2003 F-150, and then they gonna get a 2006 on 40s. You know what I'm saying? Like, we're gonna, we're gonna work them up, right? But they ain't gonna have nothing brand new or anything, you know? But, but I was just saying, like, we're gonna get them something to drive. That ain't nothing. That ain't nothing. I go buy a car right now. I gotta pay for insurance every month. I done heard some of y'all's horror stories about insurance. Huh? Yeah. Heaven forbid one of them take after me and drive fast. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> we'll be doomed for sure at the house. I'll be driving a Huffy to the tire shop. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> then they get a little older and you talk about college. And I'm just using kids because it's real life and easy. You can apply this to anything in your life. Okay? They, they get old and you be like, well, we, we kind of want to pay for them to go to school. I'm thinking that he should have got his own scholarship if he want to go to school. You know what I'm saying? Like I didn't, I got him alive for 18 years. He can do the rest on his own. But, but I'm sure Mama will convince me the other way on that one, right? So, 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 so you got that? Here, here's the phrase I heard though: "We can do this, but things are going to have to change." You ever said that phrase in your own life? We can do this, but something's going to change. You know, same you think about buying whatever your next big thing is or whatever it is, right? And, and here's where it is. And there's nothing wrong. Please understand me. There is nothing wrong with putting some nice things first for your family. That is not what I'm preaching against in any way, right? But my question then is this, when I hear this, when I hear this phrase, why do we wait? Why, why do we never seem to have the conversation of we can do this in our giving, but something's going to have to change if it's not for something we want to get for ourselves? Am I right? Y'all get quiet. I didn't know if you didn't hear me or you just didn't like it. Well, why is it? Why is it we, we can do this, but something's going to have to change if it's to get something for ourselves. But if it's to do something for somebody else or to do something for the church, here, you know. i tell you what we ask. Here's what we ask right here. How much can we afford to give after all the other stuff? How much can we afford to do for so-and-so? How much can we help Cliff with the trailer after we done did all the other stuff? I ain't talking about the tithings. You hear me I don't care about that. I'm telling you right now. I don't. The Lord going to take care of that. Ain't ain't a... Ain't a you miss your blessing, you miss your blessing. That's on you, right? But here's what we do. After we get the kind of house we want to live in, then we, we can spend some extra on something else. After we get to go on the vacation, we want to go on, then we can give the extra to something. After we get the car we want to drive, then we can, after we get the clothes we want, after we achieve the lifestyle we want, after all these things, we give God the leftovers is what we're doing. Jesus Christ is so much better than leftovers. He don't even deserve leftovers. You know what I'm saying? Y'all like? Now, I, I will eat a leftover. So if you got leftovers in your fridge, you can still invite me over for dinner. I'm, I'm telling you, I'm serious. It ain't gonna bother me none. You got a microwave. We can make it work, baby. That's all I eat off of. You know what I'm saying? So, but, he, but here's what I want to make sure you understand. I'm being serious. Think about, think about the picture that's painted. If you was to invite a guest over. Right? You invite them over, you set it up, it's beautiful, and then you pull out the leftovers and start heating them up. A lot of people in this world ain't like me now. They are not gonna be alright with some leftovers. They gonna think, you prepared that for somebody else. Why are you, why are you reheating it for me? Is that not kind of what we do with Jesus, guys? Huh? Is that not what we do? Jesus does, he doesn't deserve leftovers. He deserves first place. He deserves something fresh and new, right? I, I, I want my kids to see that in the way I live, right? I want them to know that Jesus is... I, I, you can write this way. Leftovers or Lord? Which one is he? He's either your leftover or he's your Lord. Which one's he going to be? Look at Matthew chapter six thirty three, Verse everybody should know, right? Matthew 633. But seek what? First. Not second, not third, not, not at the end of the line, seek first the kingdom of God. And if you do it, seeking not only the kingdom of God, but his righteousness. And then I love it. It's conditional, by the way. Don't you some of y'all be taking the last part of this verse and running with it. Y'all forget about the first part. And all these things will be provided for you. You see the condition. If you seek first. The rest will be provided for you, right? I think what happens sometimes, because I don't necessarily think the Lord means if you seek first, you're going to get the new truck and the new car and and all that stuff. I think your priorities change as you seek him first. Hmm? I think your desires change as you seek him first. Huh? It's taking place in 18 months at our house. i am tell you right now. Mama want to go to law school. I said, we're going to be rich. I'm going to get the F-250. I've been wanting one semester and mama wants to defend the criminals. And not the good drug dealing criminals that you could get a lot of money. I'm just shooting straight with y'all, by the way, right? I hope y'all don't mind. Like not a criminal that got a truckload of cocaine, that got a lot of money from the, from the mob that, that we could get uh, some, some kickback from. Right? She wants to defend the dude who ain't got nothing. Who can't afford legal representation. How are we going to get paid that way? It ain't about physical money on earth, though. Desires change, right? Now everybody can hate me and my wife. We in good company, baby, right? <laughs> Write it down this way. Am I listening to the Holy Spirit and obeying him? You, you, you guys ever, if you guys get free time, I know we're in Colossia and you guys probably barely read that, but if we can just shoot straight, right? Like, like if you guys get some free time and reading, check out the book of Acts, man. That's where these churches got started at, by the way. So every, every letter we going into was related back to Acts at some point. I promise you. Alright. So, so when you go through Acts, so and you see that the church explodes in the book of Acts, guys. Explodes. Like, y'all think mega churches is this new thing? That's old news, bro. All we doing is getting back to like some old idea that they had way back when. Cause they was baptizing 3,000, 6, 6,000, and all kind of crazy stuff. Right? Go back and read some of the stuff they did, and then read how they did it. None of them went to seminary. Half of them didn't even have the background they needed. Maybe more than maybe three, four of them didn't have the background they needed. Right. All they did was follow the leadership of the Holy Spirit. That was it. Holy Spirit said, go there. They did it. And if they didn't go there, then the Holy Spirit caused some dramatic event to push them there. Which I tell you, God's in control of the dramatic events that push you to certain areas, too. And it's good for you. Huh? Go to verse 20. I'm getting to the end. You'll be all right. <laughs> verse 20 through the blood of the cross. What Paul's really getting at guys, make sure we understand like this is where our peace and our relationship with Christ was made. This is where your peace comes from, right? The peace that he prayed for him for to have in the beginning of this letter. This is how they get it through the blood of the cross. We don't make our own peace with God. Jesus made peace through his work on the cross for us, right? And then look how he makes it personal. I know we didn't read it, but I'm gonna read. So really you could, if you write down for your notes, you could write down 13 through 22 or 23 for today, right? Look how Paul makes it personal right here. He says, and you, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. That remind you of your life? Be honest, right? You, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Wow. Talk about needing some application. There ain't nothing better to apply than that, guys. Right? He talks about the blood of the cross. And then he talks about you who were once alienated. You guys weren't even in the kingdom. You weren't part of the kingdom. Your head was cut off. You wasn't connected. You was dead. You was hostile to mine. You was doing evil junk. But you're now reconciled in this body. Your head's been stitched back on. Frankenstein walking around. (laughs) Right? Been shocked by the electromagnetic shock of that stronger force. I could keep going. That's pretty good stuff, right? <laughs> In order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before Him, Paul's getting excited right here, guys, because he's saying this is mine and this can also be yours. Mm-hmm. You know, the only thing better than enjoying something on you with you, by yourself is to enjoy it with somebody else, mm-hmm. huh? We went to a cool restaurant last night. You don't get to know where it is because last time I told, I've told y'all before, last time I told you about Pedro's, all y'all was at Pedro's after church. I ain't got time for that. I told you time time is an important factor in my life, and I ain't got time to wait in line at a restaurant. So y'all ruined that for me, all right? So you don't get to know any other restaurants. But I tell you this, I was at a good one. And it was great. And we looked around at how other people was ordering. And they was ordering like normal people. I wasn't with normal people, right? Seriously, I wasn't. So they sit down, and they order one plate by themselves like you would at a restaurant. And they enjoy it. We all order stuff that goes in the middle of the table and we just hands off. You know what I'm saying? Like you wouldn't have liked it if you got germ problems. Right? And that's all right. We didn't invite you. Nor do you get to know where we were. So it don't matter. But I'm just saying it was so much more enjoyable because of who I was with than sitting there being by myself. You know, I made the joke. I said, man, on a Wednesday, I'm going to come up here and just have my lunch. It wouldn't have been the same. It wouldn't be the same. There are certain things. And that's what Paul says. Paul says, this is mine and it's yours. And he busts into some praise about it. Because here's what he's saying. This is what I want for you guys. This is it. You go back to that chart on first generation, second generation. And Paul is saying, I want you to get first generation faith. This is what I want you to have. I want you to experience him and him alone. And get something out of it. Man. We started this service making Christ the preeminent of our worship. Right? Throughout it, somewhere along the way, I think I made him preeminent of my affections. And emotions. I think that's why I got a little excited on some of it, right? And Paul's saying that's a good thing, right? Then then we're saying this. may, May Christ be preeminent of the objective. That you realize the kingdom is more important than your stuff. What's your objective? What's your objective in life? Is it for yourself or is it for him? Is Christ preeminent in the church? Not do we talk about him, but is he the main thing? Is the focus on him, not on us? And I think these things grow out of As Paul gets to this end, I'm trying to transition (laughs) where I don't go any further. But I think he's saying like these things, seeing these things come from the incarnation and seeing what Christ came to do for you, which is we'll get into more next week. Right. Let, Let me ask you this way. You guys realize what Paul's writing right here. And I hope you understand. You realize creation still needs God. You guys acknowledge that's kind of what Paul's saying here. He's saying, not only is he the creator, he's the maintainer and the director, right? So he said, create, if creation needs him, don't you think you need him? Huh? Y'all know creation still listens to him? You remember? Oh, maybe you, maybe you didn't know. Like, you remember when the Red Sea was parted? They couldn't see God, but God's who did it. Right? So then he came to earth. Then he came to earth and he said, you know what? I want you guys to see what I do firsthand. So he's sitting in the boat sleeping and his disciples is having a fit and a storm comes up. And he walks out and what does he say? If you waves, don't shut up. If you wind, just don't stop blowing. He said, I ain't got time for that. And what happens? What happens? It says it stopped immediately. Y'all never been in an ocean? I'm a water guy. I love the beach. I love water, right? I ain't never seen water stop instantly. I ain't never seen that. Happen. Right? You ever, you ever, seen like the weight from a boat just stop? No, normally that thing keeps on going. It says that, that it stopped, and the word used in the original language means that it stopped promptly. The wind—you you imagine wind coming across the ocean, and right before it's about to get the breeze and feel good, it just. Oh, you couldn't let that breeze blow, Jesus. We complain when Jesus does what we ask Him to do. You ain't never noticed that, right? Huh? If creation still needs Him. I think we do. If creation still listens to him, I think we should. Am I right? Well, well Look at the last song. The last song is have thine, have thine Own Way so that it's less of me and more of you. Now, if you're not willing to mean that, don't even sing it. Mm-hmm. I'm being serious. Like I, don't even, if you're a second generation singer, to keep your second generation self sitting. <laughs> right? I'm going to close out this service with first generation. Y'all laugh. I'm serious, man. I want to close this thing out with first generation faith, first generation belief, where I can tell the Lord, yes Lord, you are still in control, I'm still going to listen, and I'm going to let you have your own way, because the more of your way that's getting made, the less of me that's going to be involved. And the less of me, anything in my life that's been screwed up, by the way, is from me. So the less of me that's involved, don't you think that's going to be less screw up? More success. You want more success in your life? Get more Jesus. Again, I don't think it means you're going to be rich and have stuff. I think it means your definition of success is going to change. Your understanding is going to change. You're not going to get bent out of shape on certain stuff that you should be bent out of shape on. So y'all pray with me. Father God, we love you so much. God, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your word. We thank you for this letter. I thank you to Paul sat in the jail cell, Lord God. 1900 something years ago. And that you sent this gentleman to come on by and tell him about a church that was struggling or getting ready to struggle. And that he wrote these, these words, the power on these pages. And Lord God, they not only apply to that church then, they apply to us today. So Lord, I pray right now that you take the words off the page and you write them on our hearts. You write them on our minds. Lord, you take complete control over our bodies. Lord, that we listen as quickly and as promptly. As the wind and the waves listen to you that day you was out on the boat. God, help us have courage where we need to be obedient and take steps in the right direction. God, if you put a calling on our life, if it's about your your mission, not ours, your mission, and the leadership of that Holy Spirit, Lord, I pray that you make us strong enough and courageous enough to take the next step, to be the limbs for God that were commanded by the by the Holy Spirit that was commanded by the head. So, the Lord, we are no longer dead, but we are alive in you. In your great name, we pray. Amen.